Welcome to another episode of the Strategy Streamcast. My name is Lex Wilridge, and I'm here with my co-host Dustin Thomas. Dustin, what's up, man? How's it going, man? It's, it's going pretty well. It's good to talk to you. I feel like we haven't done this in a while. It it feels like we took some weeks off, doesn't it? And we were releasing these bi-weekly, but I think we just met up last weekend, did we not? Maybe it wasn't to record, though. Yeah, we did. It, it just feels it just feels like too long. I miss you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's because we don't aren't doing our weekly meetings right now. That's what we need to do. Yeah, that is true. That is true. On this episode, we have a special guest, one of our partners, Ashton Cleveland. Ashton, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Excited to be here and make my debut on the world famous Strategy Streamcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so let's see. I uh, met Dustin back in 2013 in college. Went to Texas Tech together. We were part of ROTC, which is where I met him. And he will call it, he had constructive character building for me as he was a senior and I was a freshman. Those uh, were the good old days. We had those when we could haze cadets back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Use that word, right? But yeah, so. Had some good times in college and then kind of fell out of touch for a while. And I we followed each other on social media. And one day, Dustin posted something about a rental property he had invested. I had recently gotten started investing in my own properties as well. And so I hit him up and just kind of asked him about what he was doing. And he's like, oh, I'm building this company out and we're going to go take down the world. So naturally piqued my interest. And mm. it's been a uh, interesting ride ever since. We need to definitely hit on that because I remember hearing about Ashton's burr. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how I think you got. That's how you got started, right? You did a burr up in in Washington. Yeah, so I guess technically the very first deal would be my wife's passive investment that she did with her parents up in Seattle area. It was a short term rental, but that was pretty hands off. It was really just kind of money that we put into the deal, and they did everything else, and that was a great deal for us. They ended up. It was like a burster. They ended up putting some additions into the property, doubling it, sold it for twice what they paid, and we got a good return on that. But yes, the the real first deal that we actually had our hands on was a burr also in Washington. This one is in Spokane, and I can go into more detail on it. But long story short, it was a burr uh, without the rehab. So <laughs> yeah. got super lucky with the market timing. And uh, you know, a little bit of it was also just buying right way under market value off market through somebody that I had established a uh, relationship with. And then for those that know how burrs work, you buy it, you rehab it, you know, you fix it up and then go refinance it with the higher value. So you pull your money back out. In this case, I could not rehab it because COVID hit. So we were going to go in there as a tenant in there already. And because of the COVID laws in Washington, we really couldn't do anything. We couldn't even paint the walls with the tenant in there. So it just kind of sat there. Luckily, the tenant kept paying rent. Uh, that would have been nice. a uh, tough story if they had not. So I, I was cash flowing just a teeny little bit. After all my expenses, I was probably maybe losing 100 bucks a month. But meanwhile, the market was just going crazy and the equity in this thing was building. So after six months, I refinanced the property, pulled all the money out. I even made a little more than I originally put in. And now it's owned, you know, it's an infinite return property because I was able to get that money back out and it's just cash flowing. So like, that's wild. 
yeah, I like real estate. Real estate's easy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> say, give me all of these deals. I want to keep doing this. I know. This. I'm like, where are the rest of these? I need to <laughs> keep finding these. Haven't haven't found one since, but um, yeah, you I mean, it, it kind of just highlights the importance. Like, you got to buy it right too, man. Like, if I had yeah. bought that at market value, I would have been screwed. I would have been paying that hard money loan for a long time as I couldn't rehab it and, you know, pull the money back out. Yeah. What? So you got it with the intent to do the rehab. And then, I mean, what did that do when you're realizing slowly that, like, okay, we can't do the rehab? That probably raised some stress. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The biggest thing we were going to do on this was finish the basement. That's where the main value add was. You know, obviously there's a tenant in there. It's livable as is. It's not your typical off market deal you'll see out there that's just crumbling. But I wanted to finish the basement. It's just a, currently a one bed, one bath. And I wanted to turn it into a two bed, two bath by finishing the basement out. So that's still in the plans. I'm still going to do that when this tenant leaves. But right now, you know, the rents have also raised in the last few years. It's cash flowing yeah. decently. You know, I'm not going to mess with a good thing right now. Yeah, right. So just holding on to that and we'll see. Yeah, I I guess if you couldn't raise the rents much above where they're at right now, it, it's like why even do the rehab at all, huh? Exactly. It's just looking at the return on investment, and at this point, it's just I would rather put that money into the next deal because there'll be a way higher return there than just adding a bedroom. Uh, I think it'll be more of a, once I'm ready to sell this and ten thirty one it into the next property or whatever, then we'll go in and really finish it up and make it a flip quality house. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So you are you continuing to look into burrs? Or are you moving over to short-term rentals? What's sort of your your strategy now in real estate? Yeah, so talked a little bit about it. Dustin and I are currently looking to move into short-term rentals. There's a lot of reasons why the kind of the big market, the biggest driver is the market right now. It's harder to find those value-add deals because you just don't know where that post rehab value is going to be. Yeah. In the past few years, maybe you could have gotten away buying a slim deal, didn't have a ton of meat on the moan, but by the time you sold it, the market had accelerated so much, you could still make you know a super good profit. But that's not the case anymore. So bottom line is you just need to be more conservative with your numbers and with burrs. Burrs were already difficult to make work and pull that money back out. So it's not that I'm opposed to them. If the one comes across my plate, I definitely still want to tackle it. But the interest in short-term rentals, I mean, they're just cash flow machines. And right now, and you're starting out, you're looking for ways to increase your, your cash so you can go get into those flips those or even multifamilies yeah. we've expressed some interest in. So getting yeah. a, a short-term rental or two under our belt and really just trying to start generating some cash flow that we can go do other fun, exciting projects with. Yeah. You mentioned that, that post rehab value and it, you know, we've been very fortunate. I think the market, you mentioned it's went up a little bit too, since you got into it, but it's allowed us to make some rookie mistakes that I don't think it would at a lot of other times for other investors. So our ARVs that we've done on the rehabs this year have actually come out spot on or under because the markets appreciated so much have been under what we initially thought. So it's been a good like cover our butts, you know, year of learning for us. So allowed us to make some good mistakes and lessons learned. Um, yeah, when, absolutely. I, good time to jump in. Good time to learn real estate these last few years. Yeah. yeah. So any particular area you're, you're we're looking for short-term rentals? Yeah. So when we were looking to get started with short-term rentals, 
listened to a lot of podcasts on this. The Robinsons from The Bigger Pockets are great. The Short Term Shop is great. Avery Carl has that book out there. What's it called? Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth. Is that right? Yep. So Avery Carl's got that book out there. Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth. We read that and we were just trying to figure out, all right, where's the best place to buy a short term rental? We originally looked in Atlanta mostly because we had some systems and processes already established there. We knew some contacts there. It's a really hot market. It's just exploding. I think maybe a week or two after we decided, all right, let's do Atlanta. Atlanta came out with this new policy that you have to live within city limits to own a short-term rental. So that clearly scratched that one from our list and we reevaluated. What we've landed on is the regional markets are really the winners here. When you deal with cities like Atlanta, you're basically fighting against a government that is doesn't necessarily want short-term rentals or wants to limit the number of short-term rentals. Uh, probably not a sustainable way to go about it, especially when you're new. It's just not a risk that we're looking to take on. So those regional markets, Florida, Smoky Mountains, places where they're already known as vacation markets and the local governments aren't going to fight that because that's where all their income comes from is what we've decided on. So Currently looking in Florida, Panhandle region. Dustin, I know, has lived down there before, so we have some insider knowledge there. And it's just a really strong market when you look at the metrics. We've looked at everything from population growth, the types of jobs out there, average incomes. It seems like an area that's just going to continue to grow. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that assignment when I was out there in Florida. You came to visit me as a cadet. That's worth bringing up. Do we want to talk about that trip this episode or save that one for? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think uh, we save that one for a later date and give the uh, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> okay. You know, you said, you said that Atlanta had changed some of the restrictions and laws. Did Has Florida seen any changes? I know it's a market that is used to Airbnbs, but have over the years, as short-term rentals have become more popular, have they changed any of their laws or anything like that? Yeah, so Destin, Florida is a good example of this. They are probably the most popular vacation city kind of in that region. Long time, probably, you know, 20 years ago, it was still the hottest area in Florida for vacationing. What they did is they essentially said, all right, short-term rentals are allowed, but south of whatever highway that is over there, I can't remember which highway that is running east-west. 98. 98, okay. So you have seen some restrictions, but they're not like you have to live here or you're limited to a certain number of short-term rentals because, like I said, that's, that's their main driver for the economy in some of these markets. So I would expect if there were going to be any more restrictions in some of these areas we're looking at, Pensacola, Navarre, it would be similar to that. Let's keep residential housing for people that live here north of the highway and then closer to the beach where it's already mostly all rentals for vacations. We'll keep it that way. So I don't expect it to go away. I just expect maybe something like that to be established across these other cities. When I... So... When, when I first moved there, I was in Fort Walton Beach. I moved, bought a house in Navarre, bought it for $189,000, sold it for two fifty five, and just thought like we made out like bandits, right? We we're like, oh man, this real estate thing is great. We didn't even have to do anything. Dude, That I sold it just le- less than two years ago, I think. And it's worth like $360,000 now. <laughs> you and I actually looked at a house in that same neighborhood as an Airbnb potential in the HOA neighborhood just a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's something that's good to I remember, obviously, a painful lesson to learn on your own. But when you're looking at deals to try and keep that long term outlook, it's so easy to get sucked into oh, this year. It's going to you know cash flow only this amount. But man, look five, 10 years down the road and it could be a super solid investment. For sure. For sure. And so you, we've looked up some uh, some different areas. We've looked at Destin, Navarre. Recently, there, there's a a house that we've been looking at that has come back on the market. We, If I'm right, we put in an offer on this house too, but didn't get accepted, right? Yeah. So this is an interesting story. So we... This was just on market from Zillow, from our realtor. We put in an offer. I want to say maybe it was 10 grand above asking. Didn't get accepted. And then we never heard anything, any reason why. I assume we just got outbid. They pulled it from Zillow. And then I currently in the UK for a work trip. And I was talking to my buddy when we were on a train ride up to Edinburgh. And he was asking me a bit, little bit about what we're doing within real estate. And I told him how we made an offer. And he's like, oh, here, I'll show you the house. I looked it up on Zillow and it said on market and it was for $50,000 less than when it what they were asking when we offered. So that was interesting. And we looked into it. looks like for whatever reason, the previous offer fell through and now it looks like they're in a rush to sell. My guess would be that they put an offer in on another house and now they need that money for a down payment or whatever it is. But either way, this, this is cool because this gives us an opportunity to not only potentially reattack this property, but help this seller out as well who's trying to get out of the situation. So there's different things we have in our tool belt for this. And my little brother and I earlier this year really dove into seller financing subject to some of these more creative financing areas. And I think that is potentially what we're going to try to do with this one now. And yeah, go ahead. I, I just dropped the link in our chat to Lex if you want to check it out. But I see on the, the first line on here is like reduced for a quick cash sale. I know the we're exploring the idea of like some seller financing and stuff like that. But yeah, any ideas like how how we would how would we approach something like this? Yeah, so in some cases they're just going to be looking for a cash offer, and if we can't offer that, then that's fine. We'll we'll move on. Just going to pause. Can you guys hear me okay? My like voice things are super no, small compared to yours. No, you're good, brother. Yeah. No, yeah. it's good in mine too, yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah, so we've ran into this before, actually. We have done a, a what is it called? What was the uh, list that we bought? What would that be called? Do you know what I'm talking um, about in Texas? <laughs> so we bought the, through Honor and Equity, we actually bought the list of off-market deals in San Antonio. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so... This isn't our first time pitching this seller finance deal. We have gone through called multiple off-market leads trying to acquire something like this. And yeah, you have some people, they're just looking to get cash and move on, even if that means that in the long run, they're making a little less on the property. But, you know, we'll see. I'm not sure that it'll work with this one. But essentially, here, you know, I'll pull it up, the email that I sent over to the agent and kind of just highlight why this could be not only a benefit to us, but to the seller as well. And how it's important to have multiple tools in the tool belt because your average or buyer, you know, they're going to make an offer, doesn't get accepted. Maybe they'll figure out how to spice up their offer, but this time they come back and they're looking for a cash offer. What that tells me is that they're in a distressed situation where they're trying to get out of the property. 
And if you're just a regular investor who only has, you know, typical financing options in their tool belt, you're probably going to lose out on this deal. So obviously, you know, we just saw this. Nothing is set yet. We don't know if we're going to get this, but this is just an example I want to highlight to the listeners of like other ways you can go out and get real estate. So we can cut out this pause. I got to pull up the uh, email here. One sec. Did you see it, Dustin, by the way? Your email? Yeah, I just I sent did. it before this podcast over to our realtor. I did, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just that I pulled that's where I got the address from just a second. Sweet. Okay, so in this case, what we could offer to the seller is some sort of structured seller finance deal or subject to deal. If they still have a mortgage in the property, we would take that over and offer them an additional monthly payment on top of that. And they're asking for a cash offer. So what that tells me is they potentially have another house that they're trying to finance or for whatever reason, they just need a chunk, chunk of cash. So we could even offer them some sort of down payment up front, give them that chunk of cash they need to move on in life. And then this is also, they had it on the market. So we've both been working with realtors. It's something where we'd probably even be willing to still pay a realtor commission up front on this. Something you wouldn't normally do in an off-market deal, but this is on market. So a lot of people ask, well, why would they do something like this? Why wouldn't they just try to get, you know, 350 cash and move on? Well, if we go sell our finance, what we're doing is we're cutting out our normal lending options, which right now are pretty high for investments. We're looking at seven, eight percent interest rates for those. So we cut that out. We can suddenly offer way more. So we could potentially offer them the original 400 that they were asking so they can, you know, still sell their home for the original asking price. And then the closing is going to be way quicker because we're not dealing with any lenders. There's no, you know, necessarily lender restrictions. They don't have to go and do a full inspection report, all that kind of stuff that you normally deal with when you're dealing with traditional lending. Another thing they can still get the cash up front. They can request their own interest rate on the payments. Obviously, we're going to not accept anything that's up you know, where normal interest rates are right now because then we would just go that route. But if they wanted to make extra money you know, over the long run, they could make way more than the selling price that they sell it to, sell it to us for. So if they still have a mortgage in place, like I said, we would just take that over and then pay them the additional amount of the payment that's left over to them. And then... Really kind of the biggest benefit is they aren't hit with that huge tax burden up front. If they go sell this for 350 cash to someone, they're going to have a big tax bill to pay. You can you can spread that out over time if we do some sort of seller finance deal. And okay. you know a lot of sellers have concerns over this. What if you stop making payments and there, there are ways around this to make kind of put their minds at ease. You can show them proof of funds. And then also there will be a note in the deed or in the promissory note that says, if we stop making payments, the property just goes right back to them. So it's completely win-win a deal for them. And then a lot of people are also worried about, oh, what if I'm trying to buy another house? I can't have this house on my credit report. It will hurt my debt to income ratio. And there are actually ways we can go get around this by providing documentation showing that we have taken over title and we are taking over payments. And Therefore, it can be pulled from that person's credit report and no longer a worry. So kind of dove into the weeds a little bit on that, but just kind of wanted to give an example to people like there's other ways to to make a deal work. And if it doesn't work the first time, then there's maybe another option you can look for.
Yeah. yeah that's we, awesome, man. We did a lot of calls. It seemed like a lot of legwork back in the day, and we still have yet to do a seller finance deal, but it could be really cool. Lots of potential there. We've been looking in the Florida market now for what feels like three to four months, maybe at least analyzing it for the last few. We've put in a few offers now. What's the market analysis looking like for Florida going into the winter? Yeah, so looking at the, yeah, we have been looking for a while in Florida and we can kind of talk about some of the KPIs in Florida as well that we're tracking. But yeah, you bring up, we're going into the winter and we're looking to have an Airbnb in Florida. So those aren't really good combinations. Most people, you know, make all the money in the summer and then save that up for the tougher winter months for when they maybe aren't covering all their expenses. And we're looking to start off in the winter months. So it's definitely something that we need to be weary of and look at really look at the numbers for this particular house it does look like we would lose a little bit per month with the biggest hit being in december kind of using some of that air dna data to show us the average revenues in the area but like i mentioned earlier when you look long term and in this case even just looking out towards next summer you make all that back and much much more Overall, this particular deal I'm talking about would be about a 30 to 50% cash on cash return. <laughs> so for those of you listening who are stock market investors, I am as well. Uh, it hurts to look at your portfolio right now, I'm sure. So yes, hearing 50% return, it doesn't even sound real, but it is still out there mm -hmm. in real estate, even though the media would like you to believe that it's all crumbling down. So exciting yeah. stuff. I mean, that house has it all too. I really like it. I mean, it, you know, some of the houses might fare and, and lose money, but really you you could get into it and just have a great winter also and start yeah. cash flowing. Yeah. And looking at amenities as well that, you know, okay, so properties don't do as well in the winter. Well, what can we do to make it better? Having a hot tub and heated pool. I mean, that is huge for winter time in Florida. Like you may still get plenty of bookings. There are people in Florida that book year round and they have amenities like that. So it's kind of changed our perspective as the, the market's been tightening up. At first, we were looking at pretty much any four bedroom, two bath type house that was near the beach. And now I'd say we're kind of being a little more strict and we're like, you know, we really prefer a pool or a hot tub or at least an easy opportunity to put a hot tub in there. Stuff to stand out so that, you know, as we can talk about a little later too, Airbnb has changed their standards. Yeah. And, and so I, I wouldn't mind pulling that apart a little bit. What exactly are they doing? So they're, they're making it, you got, it doesn't have to be unique necessarily, but what about Airbnb? Like you can't just throw Craigslist furniture on there, rent your old apartment out the way you used to. So Airbnb is making it more competitive. Are they making people stand out so that you can, what's the impact of that? I guess is what I'm asking. They want you to be more competitive. And then does that a, affect how you rack and stack like what appears on the seo and stuff like that yeah definitely so for those that don't know what dustin's talking about he's talking about the essentially airbnb redesign that happened a couple months ago if you're a traveler and you've noticed that their homepage looks slightly different that's what it is maybe you don't really notice as much of an impact if you're just using airbnb to book a place but what it means for hosts is 
that if you essentially don't have a unique stay or a really nice stay, nice designed, your results, your search results go way down on the SEO. So I know you're you're much better versed on that, mm-hmm. that than I am. You can maybe dive into that a little bit. But long story short is Airbnb wants hosts to really step up their game and they're no longer going to be able to get away with uh, having their grandma's furniture or just renting out that old house that they didn't want to sell when they moved out. You really got to provide an experience for people. And it's a hospitality business. Like you have to run it like a business and that's what Airbnb wants you to do. So if you're not doing that, you're going to get hurt with this new redesign. Yeah, I think they want to move away from, like Dustin said, I think they want to move away from a Craigslist feeling to more of like a hotels.com or to be more of a premier legitimate. I mean, it's always been legitimate, but they want to, they want to have more of a polished look and the SEO. And it's an interesting thing. I agree that, you know, the, the better pictures and are the, you know, the better looking properties will do better on there. And typically those better looking properties and people that put more time and effort into their locations are also putting more time into the actual SEO. And, and when you do that, you're going to get the increased visibility. You're going to get more listing views. You're going to get a significantly higher occupancy. You just are. And a few things that I've, when I've been looking at Airbnb specifically, a few things that help the, with the SEO on there, five-star reviews, a hundred percent response rate, higher quality images. You have to have a high book, a high view to book ratio, and you have to enable instant booking. Now, like I said before, those higher tier properties are going to have the higher quality images. They're going to have the 100%, 100% response rate because they'll have automated messaging systems. They'll have things dedicated to, to make sure that goes through. On top of that, you know, the asking for the five-star, getting the five-star reviews they're keeping in mind when they're putting together their properties, the questions that Air, Airbnb asks their guests after they leave. So they ask them things like, how are you, how was your overall experience? How accurate, how accurately did the listing price represent the actual space? They ask about cleanliness. They ask about the smoothness of the check-in process and things like that. So when these people are putting together these top tier locations, these are things that are in the back of their heads. So it's like using the SEO to build your property, essentially, which I think is a huge thing to do. Yeah, it's essentially running it like a business, like all that stuff is so important and there's so much that goes into it. You know, when we're analyzing these deals, it's really easy to get sucked into the numbers and looking at air DNA data Mm -hmm. and change, you know, getting in the Excel spreadsheet and changing things like. Oh, I think it's going to be, you know, a 4% cost for, you know, X, whatever it might be. Sometimes the best way to analyze a deal is just go on Airbnb in that area, type in the address of the property you're looking at, and just look at, you know, one mile radius around it and look at the best performing Airbnbs. And you'll see they're doing all those things that Lex just mentioned. Beautiful pictures. They have high response rates, really high ratings. You can tell that they've gone just above and beyond to operate it like a business. And then you have to say, how can I do that or better? And if you can't with the property, then maybe move on. Ashton, so you you mentioned KPIs earlier and we're talking about how Airbnb is changing things. What are some of those 
important metrics that we need to track in evaluating a property, narrowing it down to make sure that we meet the criteria that we need to? Yeah, so those KPIs, those key performance indicators, are really what we're we're looking to get trend data from them. That's what's important. You can a lot of people get sucked into just you know writing down everything, keeping track of way too much. But really, it's all about what do I need to track so I can change my behavior in the future to find more success. So right now we're in the acquisition phase, so that's kind of what we're tracking. We call it the we call it Brandon Turner calls it the lapse funnel. He came up with this as a kind of the his KPIs for acquiring properties. It stands for leads, analyzed, pursued, and success. So how many leads did you get out of those leads? How many did you analyze out of those? How many did you pursue? And then how many were accepted? How many offers were accepted and were successful? So we've been tracking that just since July. It's just some initial data to throw out there in July. Like we had 42 leads. We analyzed all of them pursued two and had success on one, uh, that one being the the one in West Virginia. In August, we had 102 leads come in. We analyzed 47. The reason why that number is dropping is to show that we're getting better and we can instantly see in some of those leads, oh, that's not even worth analyzing because I know right away it's not a deal. Uh, so yeah. that's, you know, we can see over time with these KPIs, some of our own improvement, which is kind of cool. And then we pursued one and had success on zero. That one being where we found out about some unfortunate rental laws that were part of the HOA in that neighborhood that basically made it a deal breaker. And then now we're starting to collect some of those September KPIs. So looking at trend data across there, Brandon Turner always says like you need to analyze 100 deals before you get one. (laughs) We're seeing that it's maybe quite a bit higher than that. But also, yeah. it's a sign that, man, if we go another month or two where we're getting 100 plus leads, analyzing about 40 to 50, and out of those 40 to 50, we decide that one or two are worth pursuing and then we're not succeeding on those, maybe that's a sign, okay, we need to either change our strategy, go off market, or change our location. So that's the reason why you track KPIs. Otherwise, we'd just be out here just making offers whenever, not very structured, and then not really sure why something isn't working. Yeah, I think we've had certain periods of strength and tracking our KPIs really well, you know, since we've come along. We mentioned we did three flips, one wholesale deal this last year. We have that that third flip is wrapping up right now. It finishes next week and goes on the market. We're actually working with that realtor you connected us with, Ashton, in Atlanta, Ben. So Excited to work with him on this deal. I've been communicating the whole time. He seems great. I was tra- what was I saying? Oh, that we, we've we done that in ebbs and flows. So sometimes we're good at it. The last few months have seemed kind of like a lull as we're, we've been looking at some of those deals, like the Airbnbs. We've tracked those leads, but that's really all we're tracking right now. Thinking through how we can get better, like what, what we actually can do right now as far as you know, moving toward moving that needle forward. We got the two deals under contract right now, the multifamily, we got Cheat River and we have a Heber Springs deal under contract. Anything else that you can think of now as we're looking to move forward or is just monitoring that Florida market something that we should focus on? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a, a right answer here, but you kind of just look at each part of that lapse funnel. Potentially, the answer is increasing leads. Right now, the leads are essentially the realtor list that's coming in. 
So it's just on market. It's what's accessible to everyone. We could potentially try to go off market. That's not something we wanted to do with our Airbnb strategy. We want something nice, kind of ready to be immediately rented out with maybe a quick paint and put furniture in there. So probably not something we're looking to do. So I don't think increasing leads is the answer. We're analyzing everything or recognizing right away that it's not and not wasting the time analyzing. And then pursuing is an interesting one. Out of those now the ones we've analyzed, we've decided that only one has been worth pursuing and making an offer on. And it's funny that it's the same one that's now come back and now we're pursuing it again. But so maybe I wouldn't say in this situation that the answer would be to maybe lax the standards and start making offers on more. It could be that way in a different situation, but with the market tightening right now, first the time that we're going to be operating an Airbnb, I just don't feel that's a, a safe option to do that. So I think you kind of have to look at, yeah, maybe shifting markets if this continues for another month or two, but you know, also everyone gives up <laughs> right before they find success. So who knows? It could just be right around the corner. The key is just staying persistent. Yeah. I think now's not the time to adjust that buy box. We, <laughs> like I said, the, <laughs> earlier the, in the mar yeah. earlier this year, the market allowed us to adjust ours for the fix and flips and come out almost unscathed. So we're very fortunate there. She want to wrap it up with this last question that we got here. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about leads and we talked about KPIs and, and, here recently, from the marketing you know standpoint, up until now we've been focused on building the brand of Strategy Stream up, and I've been doing a lot of research and wanting to structure that into more of like building our network as far as options for leads, option for options for raising capital, and things like that. So with the KPIs that I'd be looking to implement in the future, or you know soon would be like traffic to lead ratio, lead to customer ratio, things like that, organic traffic and and how we can actually turn some of those people that we engage with on social media or online in general to either investors, leads, anything like that. How do you think as strategy stream we get more leads? I know you said necessarily focusing on getting more leads isn't may maybe the main focus but I know that it's always sort of like a background focus with these right. sort of things. Well, in this case, you're talking about raising private capital, right? So in leads, you're talking mm -hmm. about potential investors. Is that yeah. correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there. I think we're we're doing a good job. We have the newsletter going. Our social media is going. This podcast. I think everything's picking up steam. So our presence is out there. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I think is probably the most effective is just telling people what you do. Keep it keep it at the forefront of people's minds. Constantly be talking about it when you see that people may be interested or think they may be interested. You know, just this weekend, I'm on this TDY, so I'm around all my work buddies constantly. And I've talked to two guys about it, and they're like, oh, man, that's something I've always wanted to get into, really interested in it. And who knows, maybe someday just those initial conversations could potentially turn into an investor in one of our deals. So constantly telling people at networking events or when you're just out and about, I think is a could, you know, a potentially huge way to grow that network. Yeah. I'm also as you brought that up, Ashton, too, telling people about it, it 
randomly sparked some some beef that I had with Lex that I meant to bring up earlier this week, which was we were injecting personality into our Instagram this quarter was one of the things we're working on. And to do that, Lex was posting pictures of all of the meet the team people. And I've noticed that Lex has posted pics of everyone on the team except for himself. I was wondering why it just dropped off. I was like, well, we're missing one. Let it go by a few weeks. So I was I was wondering, going to ask Lex on, on the show when that was going to happen. It didn't even I it hasn't even clicked in me. Maybe that's a subconscious thing. <laughs> I thought I thought I was good. I thought everything was that was done. I I didn't even click that I haven't added myself. Well, you're on the spot maybe now. I, so yeah, maybe I need to speak to my therapist about that before. <laughs> I need to call my therapist about it tomorrow and, uh, and see if there's something more to that. All right. It's we'll something weird, you know, with the, when you when you it's it's weird when you it's easy to talk about you guys and, you know, how impressed I am by everyone on our team. It's a little harder to talk about yourself, you know. So maybe I need to maybe I need to make a phone call and then get on that post. You're right. <laughs> I, I can post one in a few hours if you haven't gotten to it yet. I have a picture. I got it. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to post it before Dustin does. For yeah, you. <laughs> Time is ticking. Yeah, geez. That's awesome. We usually Man, wrap this thing up. Go ahead. I was just going to add maybe a one one note. We can cut it out if we want, but I was going to say, all, all jokes aside, I think mindset is something that actually stops a lot of people from getting into real estate. Yeah. It can be something as small as just having that little bit of fear you can't get over. And partnering is maybe an incredible way to, to get through that. I know since joining up with Dustin on Stratstream, like I've just increased my general real estate involvement and my willing to learn tenfold. So everyone out there who's like, man, it's something I'm interested in, but it's scary. Talk to us. Like you, We're not going to just beg for your money, but just join up on a meeting. Talk to us. You know, we love talking about this stuff. So for sure. I'll, I'll say too, I, every time we get like a new deal under contract, <laughs> like I just go through this phase where I'm like, oh my God, like this is terrifying. <laughs> and it hasn't went away yet. Right. We've done. I mean, right now we have two more deals under contract that makes six this year for single family to multifamily. But almost every time it happens for like a few days, I'm like, am I supposed to be doing this? Was this the right move? And it's worked out every time. I don't regret anything, man. We've, we've had a great year. Looking forward to seeing what some of these multifamily deals have and have to offer too. So, Yeah, man. When, when we made that initial offer on that Florida property a while back, my initial emotions were just excitement and pumped about it and then immediately was fear like oh no if this gets accepted <laughs> it's game on you know so yeah. I, I agree i don't i don't think that goes away but i think fear is also maybe a good sign that you're on the right track and doing something big for your life so yeah sure. yeah i agree for sure you mean to take the last one yeah yeah if you would <laughs> cool we usually wrap these things up by asking a question, what's one challenge that you currently have that someone listening might be able to help you with? Yeah, I think you already hit it on the head. It would be, you know, raising money for more deals. You know, people out there that are interested in putting some money down, it doesn't have to be a huge amount. I think that we have potentially a lot more deals coming through the pipeline. I've just very briefly explored the possibility of building some sort of a cabin complex out in Oregon as a short-term rental deal. So we're looking to get into some unique, cool opportunities in the future. And 
raising money is the number one problem for a real estate investor. So if yeah. anyone's interested in getting their feet wet, I'd say that's the number one thing. Dude, and I think too, it, it's worth saying, right? We we're and correct me if I'm wrong, Ashton, but raising money in the form of like a promissory note, right? Is at least what I'm trying to do right now. And we're we're talking about eight to twelve percent interest based on the payback period. I think this is a low risk, easy way for people to get involved if they're interested. So it's it's low risk because it's backed with your net worth and your your W two salary, right? And and your yeah. your collateral. So you're making those payments almost regardless. Like before your property might even be cash flowing, our intent is to start paying those loans back by the month. So if you're, you've considered getting into real estate, but maybe you're too busy and you don't want to manage anything actively and you're excited about an 8 to 12% return, hit us up. But that, that's one of the deals that we're, we're talking about putting together over the next few months as we look at these multifamily deals. Ashton, did you have something different in mind or is that along the same lines of what y'all are going to be looking at too? Yeah, I agree completely. And I, I think honestly, right now, most people will be pretty excited with an 8 to 12% return, especially yeah. if their other option in the past has been the stock market. So it's just a way to kind of let us take more of the risk as we're fairly new and kind of going into these new ventures. We are partnered with people that are much more experienced, so we feel comfortable with that risk. But you know, that way you don't have to take the risk on a specific property if something pops up that was uncontrollable or unknown. It's still backed by us personally, and you're going to get paid that 8 to 12%. Obviously, hoping to have some options in the future as well, where they can have an equity stake and then participate individually in these properties. So they have the opportunity to maybe capture some of that upside as well. But I think for my comfort level, I, I just feel better knowing that no matter what happens, I'm going to pay someone 8% and feel good about it and be able to sleep at night rather than worry about, yeah. oh man, what happens to a specific property and not being able to pay somebody back. For sure. For sure. Sweet. Close it, close it out, man. I think that's it, Lex. I think we wrapped up this podcast. If there's nothing else, guys. What a, I don't know what we say to end the end the thing. <laughs> Me either. I said, that's why um, I, I, I forgot what yeah. I usually <laughs> Ashton, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you coming back and talking short-term rentals, KPIs, and all of the above. I said earlier we need to get some some weekly or bi-weekly touch points back on the calendar so we can start syncing up more. Excited to see what comes out of Florida within the next few weeks. I got some multifamily deals in the works also that I want to talk to you about soon. More to follow there, but let's get something in the work in wraps soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and I hope next time I'm on we can bring up some exciting new things that we've done for sure. Thanks brother. Mm -hmm.